Hello, fellow foodies. Welcome back. This is Dr. Cassandra Quave, the host of Foodie Pharmacology, the podcast for the food curious. We're getting close in the countdown to the release of my new book, The Plant Hunter. It's a book about adventure, scientific discovery, medicine, and so much more. Have you pre-ordered your copy yet? You can find links on how to pre-order and how to request your very own personalized inscribed book plate that I will ship to you in the U.S. for free to stick into your book when it arrives. You can find information on my website at CassandraQuave.com. Now, onwards to today's fun episode, we're going to be talking about one of the staple ingredients of my home kitchen. Um, this is something that our family simply can't do without, as we use it in making salad dressing, sauteing vegetables, meat, and fish, and it's basically a key ingredient in any meal that we cook. And you know which one I'm talking about. It's olive oil. So our guest today is Lucas Soler. He is the co-founder of the Olive Oil Grove. Lucas was born actually in Spain and immigrated to the United States as a young boy. He grew up with access to great olive oil in Spain and found the U.S. to be devoid of fresh and flavorful olive oil. When he went back on his yearly trip to Spain, he would bring back as many gallons of olive oil that he could stick in his checked luggage. And by the way, we do the same thing when we go to Italy to visit my husband's family. We come back with lots of, of that amazing olive oil. Um, so in 2020, Lucas and his wife Heather launched the Olive Oil Grove, where they personally select small farms and groves in Spain and bring back that liquid gold of olive oil back to consumers in the U.S., um, Lucas graduated from Georgia Tech in Atlanta in 1997 with a bachelor's degree in industrial systems and engineering. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Lucas. It's great to see you. Thank you, Cassandra. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we start with the basics? Can you tell us a little bit about what is extra virgin olive oil and how is it actually produced? Yeah, absolutely. Great, great place to start. Extra virgin olive oil, there's many grades of olive oil that we consume around the world. <clears throat> and each country regulates the different grades. And so the, the best grade of olive oil, the healthiest version is extra virgin olive oil. And what that means is that it's the most pristine method of manufacturing or producing that oil. In fact, many people don't realize that olive oil is just a juice from olives. So it's literally raw juice. And extra virgin olive oil is the most raw and the most pristine virgin of that version of that juice. And, and you asked about how it's made. And so it really comes down to three main components to making olive oil, especially extra virgin olive oil. It's really agriculture, harvesting, and the milling. Agriculture, as you can imagine, is the planting and the manicuring and the pruning, fertilizing, taking care of the land. Harvesting is the collection of the olives from the trees. And while that sounds very simple, there's a whole variety of processes that lead to good oil versus not so good oil. And lastly, there's the milling, which is an also a key part of the manufacturing, which is taking those olives and converting it into that juice. And that's a pretty intricate process. And that's where I see a lot of variability across the different farms that I've visited. Yeah, I can tell you some of my early trips um, to the Mediterranean, my first trip to Italy, I remember just walking through this gorgeous olive groves. And I loved olives as a kid. And I didn't realize that if you actually eat an olive, even if it's ripe, you know, right off the tree, 
it's pretty gross. It's very bitter. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. So it takes, you know, making olives is like a brine fermentation process to remove that bitterness. But when it comes to the oil itself, you know, you mentioned the need for harvesting. Now, I've seen in Italy how on small scales they're harvested by basically they'll lay out like a blanket on the floor, kind of a net and then um, go up and by hand kind of scrape some of these olives out. But I think that others might also use machines to shake the trees. What can you tell us about olive um, olive collection in, in the farms that you work with? Yeah, it's so neat that you've seen that, Cassandra, because few people have seen that collection of olives. And, and you're right, the process is largely the same for, for collecting the olives. Either they use like these mechanical rakes or they do it by hand or larger groves will actually use this like machine that looks like a tractor with two big arms and it'll grab the trunk of the tree and it'll shake it quite vigorously. And it's almost sad to watch that happen. I don't think it's harmful to the trees, but it's still sad. And so the important thing is what you mentioned, they have these nets that collect the olives. Not all the groves use those nets and it is important to use the nets, but more importantly, ensuring once you actually collect the olives from the tree, it is like a rush to get it milled mm. because the longer those olives sit without going to the mill, the more it degrades the quality of the olive oil. So really good farms know that as soon as they shake that tree or collect those olives, it's a rush to the mill as opposed to letting it sit for more than 24 hours. In fact, if the olives sit for more than 24 hours, and that kind of sounds like, okay, that doesn't seem too hard. 24 hours is a long time, but when you have acres and acres of olive trees and you're collecting these, 24 hours goes by pretty quickly. And mm -hmm. if any olives sit for more than 24 hours, that automatically, I think you could almost not consider that to be extra virgin. That's yeah. how much quality difference it'll have. That's great. Well, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think historically, um, you know, stone kind of stone mills were used. But of course, today we have you know, more advanced industrial process. Can you tell us a little bit more about the milling process? So you have these olives, of course, they have the pits inside of them, the little seed, and then the fleshy kind of outer part of the olive. How do we go from those fresh, you know, whether they're shaken or, or raked off the tree, how do we go from, from that stage to actually getting the oil? Yeah, so the milling itself has about six different steps. First is the cleaning process. So they'll take those olives and it goes through a cleaning, cleans the branches off, any dirt or residue that might be there. Then they get into the grinding. And you're right, there aren't donkeys that are pulling these round stone wheels anymore. Um, it used to be that once they did that, they would then put the olive into these mats. Picture these circular, uh, almost like a doormat, you know, um, and they would put scores of these mats and in between the mats was the actual ground olive and they would then press it that way they would actually put a lot of pressure and press it in fact i say this because in all the bottles you'll find in the supermarket today it says cold pressed we don't press olive oil anymore that was the old donkey and round stone day now what happens is after they clean the olives it does go through a grinding process that you talked about to separate the hard stuff from the soft stuff but then there's an extraction process, which is really centrifuge. 
driven. That's how they do it today. And that centrifuge is not a pressing, but it separates the oil from the actual mass. And then they filter that. So there's filtration is the fifth step. And lastly, there's the, there's the bottling of that. So it's very, it's quite industrial. It's amazing how industrial it is today compared to what it was years ago. And I'm also surprised that some of the farms that I've visited in California or other areas in Spain, they don't use necessarily this high-tech equipment. Some of them are still quite rudimentary in their ability to produce oil, which has a pretty significant impact on the on the overall quality at the end. Yeah. Well, one of my questions around oil, you know, and quality is I've I've purchased different brands of olive oil over the years, either ranging from the very cheap version you get at the grocery store to um, higher, higher, higher cost um, oils. And, you know, one of the things that's very notable when you compare these oils is the color of the oil. What does the color of the oil tell us about its quality? And on another hand, too, is the color always natural or do companies sometimes color their oil to look darker artificially? <laughs> yeah, experts will say that color is not the most important predictor of quality. Uh, mm. I do enjoy the color of a really good quality olive oil, but I think they found ways to fraudulently color the mm. olive oil to make it more green. Uh, so while I appreciate the color, it's not the most important factor. And we can talk about kind of the factors that make really good olive oil. But um, in fact, I think there is, I'll tell you, I'll read you a quote from New York Times from August 30th, 2019. It talks a little bit about this. And I quote, olive oil industry has also been racked by fraud with millions of consumers around the world regularly paying for extra virgin olive oil that is cut with inferior olive oil mixed with cheaper oils like sunflower and canola, or colored with chlorophyll or beta-carotene. So it seems to be a practice that can can happen. And so color, I would say, is not the most important characteristic. Yeah, I think I remember the, this this time when this news came out, how shocked I was. I was like, there, you know, because olive oil is much more expensive than some of these other cheaper cooking oils, um, especially extra virgin olive oil. Um, and just incredibly audacious <laughs> that companies would just cut it with this and then advertise it as if it were, were real olive oil. So, I mean, how do we as consumers tell the difference? I mean, is there a way to really understand the difference just based on our own ability to detect the flavor by taste? Um, or do you have any tips to yeah. share? Yeah, I think smell and taste are really important things. I mean, we as humans, when we smell something that doesn't smell right, we tend to not want to taste it. And so smell is important. I went to an Italian restaurant, one of my favorite Italian restaurants here in town, and I just love their food. Food is fresh from, from that day. But they served this awesome bread, like a French baguette, full of olive oil. And I tasted that, and I knew something wasn't right. I asked the actual server, what this oil was made of. And the good thing is that he was honest about it. And he said, look, it's half extra virgin olive oil and half canola oil. And I couldn't believe that they were serving that to consumers. The good thing is it's not fraud because they're being very open about it. But right away, I could tell from the smell and the taste. So those are the two most important things. Um, if it smells good and it tastes good, that's a pretty good indicator for you. And everybody has a different taste. You and I could really appreciate a really good olive oil, but there are people I come across at the farmer's markets that they taste the oil that I sell and they're like, do you have anything less earthy? You know, any less grassy 
you know, and they're, they're used to very subtle and very plain olive oils. And mm-hmm. so it kind of depends on the individual. But for me, that smell, it should smell like flowers. It should smell like a bouquet or like I'm walking through the garden and it should taste equally as good. Yeah, it, it's interesting because as you're speaking, I'm thinking of, you know, this is the language that um, a vintner would use to describe the the flavor of their of their wines of, of the grapes and and how how the earth also the terroir the quality of the soil the nutrients the area where it's grown influence that final wine product and I think most consumers are familiar with those concepts of like how how this affects wine but I think we seldom think about it when it comes to products like olive oil yeah you're right and I'm getting chills as you're saying that <laughs> because you're exactly right I've been to some farms with a very diverse geography within that farm. And the olive oil uh, that comes from one area of the farm may taste totally different from the same oil from a tree in another part of the farm, just because of the inclination of the soil, which facilitates the drainage of water or the direction that the sun is hitting it, the wind, all those are factors just like wine that affect olive oil. And that's why I always really um, encourage the single estate olive oil because just like wine i would never consider drinking a cabernet from eight different estates yeah (laughs) or eight different countries and when you go to the supermarket and look at the olive oil it's from like eight different countries and it loses that terroir and -hmm. i just love the uniqueness of that land and that's why i only go for single estate olive oil just like my (laughs) wine yeah that's a great it's a great way of thinking about it is that that kind of place-based foods well i want to get into other misconceptions that people might have about olive oil. Um, I think that in general, we're told that it's an important component of the Mediterranean diet. We know that olive oil has been affiliated with like lower instances of, of cardiovascular disease, of course, accompanied by a diet that's rich in vegetables and legumes and low and kind of meats and certainly not you know, as rich as we have in the Western diet of, of so many um, hyper-processed corn syrup-derived products that we eat here. Um, but you know, beyond that, what are some of the what are some of the misconceptions that people have yeah. around this? Yeah, I've got four of them to share with you. The first mm-hmm. one is that most people in the U.S. believe that once you open a bottle of olive oil, that bottle or that oil would be just as good quality six months down the road. And the truth is it does depreciate or degrade over time once you allow oxygen to get to the olive oil. So I know people that have uh, bought olive oil that a year later have the same bottle and it's been open for a long time. And I can, I can really taste the difference. So that's number one is mm-hmm. it does degrade once you open the bottle. Uh, number two, that the oil available to us in the U.S. is fresh. And the truth is that it is not really fresh. It is it is quite old in most cases. Now, we as consumers don't always recognize it or can tell, uh, but I always encourage people to buy oil from this year's harvest. Okay. Mm. Third, that the oil in the U.S. is authentic. And as you mentioned earlier, I think we're we as a as a as a country are prime for being a dumping ground for bad quality olive oil. There seems to be a priority over having it always available as opposed to having good quality olive oil. And and as we talked about earlier, just authenticity of oil is just hard to find. And I I meet a lot of consumers that are starting to get really educated on this, and they know, and they know that it's difficult, and they don't know what to trust. Mm. And lastly, something we talked about earlier, which is what that cold pressed means good quality. And like I said, 
you walk through the supermarket, every bottle will say cold pressed. But that's just a marketing term that no longer really applies. But it seems to be that if you don't have it on your bottle, and I don't carry it on my bottles, but if you don't have it on your bottle, it seems like to be a disadvantage, at least at the supermarket. Yeah, this is this is a really important point. I, I, I talk to my students quite a bit about this, this ideas of, of the differences between marketing gimmicks versus the reality of how foods are sourced and processed before they make it to your store and eventually to your pantry. Um, there can be quite a chasm there. Um, and again, I just can't get over the, the issues with adulteration in olive oil as well, um, because that ultimately has effects on the health value of olive oil. If we think about the true olive oil that's consumed in the Mediterranean and its health values, you know, if you have a chemical makeup of something that's sold here that's either old or degraded or is mixed with other plant-derived oils, you're not going to have the same kind of health benefits. And I think that people are led to believe that they are, and that's and that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I suspect the only thing that people can do is, aside from tasting it and smelling it, I think that they can do their own research on where is that sourced. Mm -hmm. Every bottle in the U.S. is obligated to list where that oil is sourced from. And and things like that, I think, can really help people, can educate people on kind of what oil to get. Like if you go to the supermarket, I mentioned this earlier, you'll see that they come from like eight different countries, some of these. You know, the priority of those manufacturers is to ensure that the bottle is on the on the shelf in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that, you have to have a strategy where you're supplying the oil at every moment. And that's why they source from eight different countries to do that, to ensure that if there's ever a bad year in one country, they can get it mm -hmm. from seven others and they kind of blend it as well. So there's a lot of blending of olive oils as well. And the quality, that's one of the things that I really look for in olive oil is just the healthiest version of olive oil that one can find. And there are many factors that one can look at, especially about early harvest that we can talk about you know, later on mm -hmm. that creates the healthiest version of, of olive oil, which is really what, I, like I said, I'm 50 now, I turned 50 this year. I Absolutely. really look at the things that I put in my mouth. And, and yeah, being, yeah. not only does it taste good, but it's gotta be healthy at the same time. That's great. Well, let's talk about this, about selection of farms. So how do you, as a buyer, um, how do you go, you, you travel to Spain, you're originally from there, when you're in the region, like what are the things that you're looking for when, when you decide on farms that you'd like to source from for, for making your product? Yeah, so we have, we, we have, I guess, a criteria that we use for sourcing or partnering with these small farms. And it's not very complicated, actually. In the, for the most part, you know, we work with groves that handle the entire production process themselves. And that guarantees that their processes are uniform. So we talked about harvesting before. It ensures that their harvesting is uniform across across the, the work that they do. A lot of olive oil producers work with many groves that then bring their olives for the mill to get processed. And I just think that leads to a little bit more variation. Uh, it's important that for me that the actual mill is on premise. So if it's a grove, they may make great uh, they may have great harvesting practices, but if they have to take those olives, you know, 20 kilometers uh, to the actual mill, that to me creates complications that we talked about earlier. Plus, they're no longer owning or managing that mill. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the actual process for milling is super, super important. And I inspect the entire process. I inspect the harvesting and I inspect the mill. And given that my background is in engineering and systems engineering, I do a really thorough inspection of the mill and their quality control processes. So I look for that. And lastly, I look for passion. 
I look for groves and families that understand their impact to the world, you know, beyond just producing a beautiful product. That's great. It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, also to just get to go and explore and meet these wonderful people that are growing these olives. You just said it. I get to do this. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good way to say it. I get to go to these farms in Spain and and really see the production process. And I love meeting these families. I'm really privileged to both meet the end consumer, as we do in the farmers markets, and talk to them directly. And I'm privileged to meet the people that produce it as well. That's great. Well, let's let's touch back on you mentioned before this concept of early harvest. So, what is early harvest, and how does that factor into the flavor of your olive oil? Yeah, so early harvest is an olive oil insider secret. Very few people know this, even in countries like Spain, uh, who produce the most olive oil in the world, by the way. Uh, early harvest is the process of collecting the olives early. So mm -hmm. many people think that there are green olives and there are black olives. The truth is there isn't. There's just one type of olive. There are many varieties of olives, but just like bananas, bananas start green and they become black. Same thing with olives. So the green olive just means it's been harvested earlier. The black olive means it was har harvested when it's fully mature. Mm -hmm. All the okay. olive oil that we get in the U.S. really comes from olives that have been fully harvested and are black. The reason for that is it's, it's most plump. It's the, it's the biggest olive, produces the most oil. However, it's not collected at the peak of its antioxidants and flavor like the early harvest green olives are. So the farms that decide to do early harvesting understand and appreciate the quality, the flavor, and the health over yield. So it costs more, costs them a lot more to actually produce oil from a green olive because it produces only about a third of the much, as much olive, I mean oil, than with black. But those farms that do practice early harvesting understand that. And so in reality, early harvesting then, or early harvest olive oil, is the healthiest version of extra virgin olive oil you can find. Wow, that's great. And 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 so it's going to be richer in these polyphenols and kind of compounds that are rich in, in antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. How does that translate to the flavor? Is there a detectable difference in flavor as well? There is. I find early harvest, the color is certainly a lot more green than you'd find usually, and the flavor is a lot more pungent. So, in fact, when you taste early harvest, because of the high level of antioxidant polyphenols, you have like a bit of a burning, peppering sensation at the end. In Spain, they call that, a, a, they sometimes characterize an oil as a one-cough oil or a two-cough oil. It's expected, especially when I go to these farms and it's fresh, freshly pressed you know, from their manufacturing process. That stuff is really potent. But what that means to me is that when I put that on my salads or my foods, I don't need salt with that. And I almost don't need vinegar as well. Mm. So it's super flavorful, early harvest oil, and it accentuates any food that I put it on. And I put wow. it on just about anything, as you can imagine, except cereal and ice cream. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, um, you um, shipped some beautiful olive oil to me, and it says fresh, organic, early harvest. And I haven't opened the bottle yet, but I'd love to now to give it a taste and see, you know, and, and just kind of for those that are listening on the podcast, I'll, I'll also describe the, the, uh, the, the color and the flavors we taste it. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube, you can certainly see the, um, I'll just show the bottle here. It's a lovely little bottle. And I've got a 
um, a bowl here with my spoon. I'm just going to make a spoonful of this. That's and you're going to join me on the other end, right? Oh, I'm doing the exact same thing, and I'd love to get your opinion on what you smell. Yeah, I love – I'm just holding up to the camera. It's this gorgeous golden color, really. So when you talk about liquid gold, it's nice. That's correct. I'd love to know what you're smelling. And there's no yeah. right or wrong answer, as you know, Cassandra. If you're smelling hamburgers, that's okay. <laughs> you're smelling hamburgers. I definitely have um, – so I'm holding the spoon up to my nose, and – I definitely kind of smell that that little bit of pepper, like you mentioned. There's a little bit of pepper, but also very earthy and very rich. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a little hint of pepper, but this very earthy, rich flavor. I don't know, rich is a not a very descriptive term, I guess, but it looks delicious. So I'm gonna take a I take a taste. Oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. I could, it's definitely more flavorful than what I have in my in my kitchen right now, which I'm I'm guessing because we bought it in like a large container is probably one of those is probably half canola oil that we bought. <laughs> we just don't know, but this is definitely you can taste the you can taste that kind of hint of earth and and like you said that that bit of um, there's a little bit of bitterness, but it's really a nice bitter like a. You know, I think this is something also that's really underappreciated in American cuisine is a lot of foods in the Mediterranean, um, especially when it comes to wild greens and and even cultivated vegetables, you know, are heavily seasoned with garlic and really rich olive oil that gives them that little bit of a bitterness. But that's also the medicinal properties of of these foods as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. You know, mm. I, I know you mentioned you've been to some groves uh, in Europe, so mm. I, I'm proud that you're able and willing to taste this directly. In the oh, U.S., I find amazing. some people aren't willing to taste olive oil directly like this. You know, they're just mm. used to tasting it with bread. But in Spain and when I visit these groves, we always taste it directly to really taste the quality of it, just like you would taste wine directly. Absolutely. And I, I do smell some flowers. I smell tomato. Uh, mm. In mm -hmm. in a region that I was born in, in, in the yes. Catalonia region, yeah. we, we have, yeah, right? We have bread with tomato and olive oil, and maybe that's why it's bringing me back to my youth. But I do smell some kind of vine-ripe tomato, and it's kind of kind of neat. Uh, and this, amazingly, this type of oil, any good olive oil will do this, really changes the flavor of anything you put it on. You know, whether it's chicken or fish or salads, it just accentuates and varies the taste dramatically. Yeah. You know what this is bringing me back to? And I know this sounds strange, but um, a few years ago, my husband and I were traveling in Spain and um, we had the most amazing um, dessert at one of these outdoor cafes that you have in Spain. It was like a little ice cream, but they poured olive oil on it. And for some reason, tasting this, it brought me back to that same olive oil. Because it was, it was like you wouldn't normally think, oh, vanilla ice cream with olive oil. That sounds yes. kind of weird. Yeah. But it was amazing. It was so it was really? just very simple and just a little bit of olive oil. It, it was, But it was the quality of the oil that made the dish. And mm. for some reason, as I'm smelling this, I'm, I'm thinking of ice cream. <laughs> well, you may just influence me to taste it with ice cream. I said before, that's the one thing I haven't tried it on. But maybe I'll yeah. give it a try. What flavor ice cream was it? Do you I think it, it was just a plain, like a very, it was a very light cream, like a, maybe a vanilla okay. ice cream. Um, but it was just, it was the simplicity and the purity of the flavors that together just harmonized so well in a very unexpected way, you know, um, mm -hmm. but just really amazing. So yeah, I guess, well, I like to ask this question of all of our guests and I'm sure you probably have um, some really good advice on 
on, on this. And, you know, what are some of your favorite recipes for using mm. quality um, olive oil with? Yeah, keep keep in mind, like I said, I was born and raised in Spain, so I'm a little bit different. I have one of these bottles every 10 days, so you can imagine how much I consume. Mm-hmm. I put it on everything. One of my favorite things, believe it or not, is actually pizza. So oh, I'll take yeah. pizza and I'll soak up that nasty industrial oil that it comes with, and I'll drizzle this oil on it. Nice. And it makes it into a gourmet pizza. That's my number one favorite. Uh, I like to fry my eggs. I don't use this oil for cooking very often, but when I do, if I'm going to fry an egg, I'll use two or three tablespoons to fry it, and then I'll drizzle this oil at the end as a finisher, mm. of course, on the eggs. That's my second favorite. Third favorite would probably be avocado toast. And my wife oh. says to me, you already have avocado. You've got a fat source on there. Yeah, but I don't have a flavor source. And so I drizzle that on top, and it's it's just delicious. Those are probably my top three. That's great. They all sound amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. Um, well, I guess one last question I had, um, you had mentioned uh, in our correspondence that you'd gone on this adventure in 2020 um, in your quest for the best in Spain. Tell us a little bit about that adventure and <laughs> what it was like also, of course, mid-pandemic and kind of getting this business off the ground. Yeah. So I went in 2020. It was actually mid-October of last year. And like you said, quest for the best. I was looking to find the best olive oil I could find. Of course, early harvest was a requirement for that and organic as well as this one is. And it was quite interesting to be in this area of Spain, this area that I went to called Jaén. Uh, it's in southern Spain. It's about four hours south of Madrid, and it is it is just the world capital of olive oil. They That little region, which is the size of Rhode Island, which is a small estate we have in the U.S., produces a quarter of the world's olive oil in that small region. So that small region makes more than Turkey, Italy, and Greece combined. You know, it's just a mega production of olive oil. And so if you can imagine that small area, it's just full of trees. It's 66 million olive trees. And no matter where you look, it's just one big forest. It's one of the largest man-made forests in the world. And it's quite magical and majestic to be in that area. But what made that interesting last year, like you said, it was during the pandemic. I barely got over there and I only got there because I'm a Spanish national and that's why I was allowed to travel. And when I got there, I was the only tourist. Usually it's full of tourists. Yeah. So these farms were welcoming me like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> of course, it, it felt it felt weird. And I remember I was there for two weeks, and on the last day that I was there, I was leaving on the 31st of October, the night before Spain declared a national um, shutdown of travel because of COVID. And so the people I was staying with, the hotel was like, Lucas, you're not getting out tomorrow. You have to drive five hours to the airport. I don't think you're going to make it. It's all – you can't travel from one town to the next, let alone Madrid, to go fly out. Yeah. I said, well, I, I have to try. I've got to try to get home. And so I was driving – and I came across a police roadblock within an hour of driving. And, and I'm a very, very honest guy. I showed my Spanish passport, my American passport, and I'm speaking in Spanish. And right away, they thought something's not right. And they pulled me over to secondary. You know, they're like, something smells weird. Let's talk to this guy. <laughs> 45 minutes later, they let me go. I keep on driving to the airport. A few hours later, I come across another checkpoint. This time, you know, I didn't show my Spanish passport. I show my American passport, but I speak fluent Spanish. And so again, it triggered something in the police. They pulled me to secondary. 45 minutes later, I was able to keep on going. And at the third checkpoint, at this point I had a down pat. I showed my American passport and I said in the most broken Spanish I could say, <laughs> Aeropuerto, por favor. 
And right away, they wave me on. No need to stop me. Go right to the airport. Get this foreigner out of here. And so that's how I made it out. Got to the airport and flew home. But it was quite interesting trying to get out of Spain at that time. I bet. I bet. Wow. Um, That's definitely uh, an adventure, getting getting around with travel um, in this past year. It's, yeah. Well, and hopefully, hopefully things will, will improve as we move forward with the pandemic with vaccines. And yeah, I think it can only improve. And I'm actually going yeah. back there this coming Sunday for another two weeks. So we'll see how it's improved. But I do have my COVID vaccine. So I think it should be a little easier. It's great. It's great. Well, and well, here's a question for the audience yeah. is, you know, talking about travel there and seasonality. So you're going in the fall around October. Why is that? Is that when the olives are ready or like what's yeah. the, the timing? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's when the harvesting takes place. So the early harvest will take place toward the end of September. Mm-hmm. And then the regular season goes all the way through November. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I like to be there because I inspect the farms and I inspect the mills. I like to see them while they're in production. And that's kind of why I go during that time of the year. That's great. Great. Well, Lucas, where can we direct our listeners to learn more about uh, your journey um, in the search for amazing olive oil? Um, Do you have a website? I do. It's oliveoilgrove.com. And we have a lot of information there. We have FAQs on olive oil production and things that people might be interested in. And we're also going to post some pictures and videos of my upcoming trip next week to Spain. Oh, that's exciting. Great. I, I, am, I will be a little bit envious of that. I wish I could be in Spain right now. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Lucas. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Cassandra. So nice to meet you and spend some time with you. Absolutely. Yeah. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious, recorded on Skype. I want to say thanks to our producers, to Rob Cohen and Christine Roth, for their awesome job in moving the show forward. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in each week. If you'd like to find this and all of our other episodes, definitely check out our podcast at Apple Podcast, or you can head over to our website at foodiepharmacology.com. If you'd like to see video version of this episode and others, go to the Teach Ethnobotany YouTube channel. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there, and I'll see you next time.